Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from Clyde Hill Publishing, partner and publisher for founders, innovators, thinkers, and tinkerers. Clyde Hill works with non-traditional authors to help bring their ideas and lessons to life. Their newest title is I Had No Idea You Were Black by Ronald Crutcher. Whether navigating cancel culture at the University of Richmond, where he serves as president in the heart of the former Confederacy, or teaching Northeast liberals the true meaning of functional diversity, Dr. Crutcher offers lessons on life and leadership that none of us can afford to ignore. To learn more about Clyde Hill's services and books, visit ClydeHillPublishing.com or Clyde Hill Pub on Twitter. I'm Katie Sewell, and this is A Bittersweet Moment with Tiffany Parks. I have fears that I may cease to be before my pen has gleaned my teeming brain, before high-piled books in character hold like rich garners of full ripened grain. When I behold Upon the night's starred face, huge cloudy symbols of a high romance, and think that I may never live to trace their shadows with the magic hand of chance. And when I feel, fair creature of an hour, that I shall never look upon thee more, never have relish in the fairy power of unreflecting love, then... On the shore of the wide world I stand alone and think till love and fame to nothingness. That was actor Rory Stewart reading When I Have Fears That I May Cease to Be by John Keats. It was read yesterday at his tomb in the non-Catholic cemetery of Rome on the 200th anniversary of his death. If you listened to Monday's episode, you heard Katie and I talking about when she visited Keats's grave on her last visit to Rome and how she was so moved by it that she decided to go to the house, the apartment where he died. The flat is located in Piazza di Spagna, right beside the Spanish Steps. And he died at only 25 years of age of tuberculosis, a very long and painful death. And when Katie discovered that he died on her birthday on February 23rd. She was inspired to write an essay about not only Keats's death, but also the death of a close friend of hers and how a date can change so much when someone that you love dies on that very day. You can read that essay in Catapult Literary Magazine. It has just been published on occasion of Keats's death, so I highly encourage you to read it. It's a beautiful and moving essay. One of the lines that really struck me right at the very beginning. Hang on, I've got to find it. I've got like three gazillion tabs open here. She writes that the pain of tuberculosis combined with the bloodletting and starvation of his medical care had become so agonizing that when he awoke, he would cry to find himself alive. On the morning of February 23rd, 1821, he woke for the last time. Thank God it has come, he said. 
Keats was 25 years old. There is a link to that essay in the show notes, so I highly urge you to read it. And if you haven't listened to Monday's episode, please have a listen, because we sort of delve into this idea of things that you read that inspire you to visit things in your travels or in your even in your home city, and vice versa when you do visit places and travel when that inspires you to start reading something about the place that you saw. So it's a fun conversation. But today I wanted to talk a little bit about the place that John Keats is buried, uh, the non-Catholic cemetery. I would have loved to have gone to the commemoration of John Keats's death on the 23rd, but unfortunately the non-Catholic cemetery is still closed to visitors. It did not reopen along with museums, so it was a closed ceremony and the general public was not allowed. But as you heard at the beginning of this mini-episode, there were some videos taken and I will link to those in our show notes as well so that you can watch a little bit of the ceremony. Now the non-Catholic cemetery is a very, very particular place. I would say it's a unique place, although I tried to use that word as rarely as possible. Most people agree it's the most beautiful cemetery in the world, or at least one of them. Uh, It's not necessarily the most historic. Uh, There are Pierre Lachaise in Paris and many others that are considered very, very notable. This cemetery is much smaller, but nevertheless, there's something about it. Uh, There's something about the density of it. It's also built on a slight hill. So when you are standing at the bottom and you look up, you see these beautifully carved tombstones rising up on the hill. It just creates an incredible visage that is then, of course, topped with cypress trees and other types of plants. There are many cats that linger there. There's, of course, the ancient pyramid in the backdrop, which just makes it all the more evocative of a place. I did a little digging to see the most famous people who are buried there. Now, on the website of the cemetery, they claim to perhaps have the highest density of famous people buried than any other cemetery in the world. And I think this is probably due to the fact that it is quite a small cemetery. Um, They also note that it is one of the oldest burial grounds in continuous use in Europe having been used since 1716 as a burial ground. And yes, people are still being buried there. And I will get into a little bit later how you can go about being buried there if that is something that you would like after you pass away. Um, So here are just a few of the famous people buried there. There are many more than this. Of course, John Keats, as we know, the beautiful line on his tombstone reads, here lies one whose name was writ in water. His name does not appear on his tombstone, and he wanted it that way. He didn't believe that he would ever become famous, and he didn't feel that he even wanted the notoriety of having his name on his own tombstone. But everyone, of course, knows that it is his tomb. Joseph Severn, of course, was buried there as well, as Katie mentions in her article. He died many, many years later in 1882 and requested to be buried right beside John Keats with a tombstone that looks very, very similar. And probably the, the other most famous person to be buried there is Percy Shelley, a friend and contemporary of John Keats. Shelley was only 29 when he died. He drowned sailing off the coast of Tuscany. And before he died, not long before he died, actually, he said, it might make one in love with death to think that one should be buried in so sweet a place, describing, of course, the non-Catholic cemetery. 
So it was a place that many people for a long time have been moved by. Hendrik Andersen, the Danish sculptor, was buried there. The son of Goethe, Goethe had five children, but only one lived to adulthood. And tragically, he died on a trip to Rome with his father when he was, I believe, in his early 40s or late 30s. Of course, absolutely crushed Goethe, who'd already lost four other children, and he was buried in that cemetery. William Wetmore's story, an American sculptor who today we don't really talk about that much, but he was very popular and very successful during his lifetime, probably one of the most successful American sculptors of his time. And I bring him up because his tomb, which he actually had built for his wife who died before him, and then later he was buried there as well, is popularly considered to be the most beautiful tomb in the cemetery. It is called the Angel of Grief. And if you've seen it, you know which one I'm talking about. There is a sculpture of an angel that, of course, Story created himself, who is completely bent over with her head down and just, it looks like she's sobbing. It is incredibly moving, probably one of the most moving tombs in the entire cemetery. By the way, fun fact, William Wetmore's story was the object of a biography by Henry James. And speaking of Henry James, in the story, Daisy Miller, she's a fictional character, but in the book, she is said to have been buried in the non-Catholic cemetery. And an actress as well, a British actress, Belinda Lee, who lived as an expat in Rome during her short career. She died tragically in a motor accident when she was only 26, and she is buried there, as well as many more diplomats and authors, writers, sculptors, artists. Almost all of them are foreigners. As you can imagine, by the name of the cemetery, you do have to be a non-Catholic to be buried there, and most Italians are Catholic. So there are very few Italians buried in the non-Catholic cemetery. One of the exceptions is Antonio Gramsci, an Italian philosopher who was also the founder of the Italian Communist Party. That is what he's most famous for, and he was imprisoned for many years under Mussolini. Now, one last quote about this cemetery before I go on to tell you how to be buried there, if you would be interested in that. Oscar Wilde visited Rome, and after he had had an audience with the Pope, so you'd imagine after he was in the Vatican, after he was in St. Peter's Basilica and all these quote-unquote holy places, he visited the non-Catholic cemetery, and his words were that it is the holiest place in Rome. So how do you get buried in the non-Catholic cemetery? First of all, I should say that the full name of the cemetery is the non-Catholic cemetery for foreigners in Testaccio, Rome. So technically, you don't only just have to not be Catholic, you also have to not be Italian to be buried there. There are a few exceptions. There are over 15 languages on the various tombstones inside the cemetery. And members of the Greek Orthodox Church, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, and Confucianism have all been buried in the non-Catholic cemetery. So now the question on everyone's mind, I'm sure, is how can I be buried in the non-Catholic cemetery? Even if maybe you're not planning on dying anytime soon, it might be something that, especially if you live in Rome, you might like to set up for the future. You can only be buried in the cemetery if you are a citizen of one of these countries, 
Australia, Canada, Denmark, Finland, Germany, Greece, the Netherlands, Norway, Russia, South Africa, Sweden, Switzerland, the United Kingdom, or the United States. But you also have to be a resident of Italy, a legal resident. So you can't just say, you know, one day I make my will, I'd like to be buried over there. No, you have to be a resident of Italy. I'm not sure if you have to be a resident of Italy at the time of your death, but I would assume that to be the case. Also, you cannot be a member of the Catholic faith. So I am disqualified. Now, I don't know if people who have dual citizenship, if they're American and Italian, for example, as long as they are not Catholic, if they can be buried there as well, I would assume that they could. But there are a couple of exceptions to this rule, though. As long as you're still a resident of Italy and not Catholic at the time of your death, and you're not a citizen of one of the countries that I listed above, you can appeal to the president of the Assembly of Ambassadors to get special permission to be buried there. Also, if you're an Italian citizen, and even if you're Catholic, you can be buried there if either a spouse, a parent, or a child qualifies. But of course, they have to, that spouse or family member, close family member, has to already have been buried in the non-Catholic cemetery, and they have to already have a tomb there that can be added to. And there are a few other little details there. Like if you remarry after your spouse dies, who's there in that cemetery, you, uh, you lose your right to be buried there. So there are some very nitpicky rules. But um, the interesting thing is that it is still possible to be buried there. I don't really know how they have any space left. But I suppose some of tombs, the more mausoleum type tombs, of which there are several in that cemetery, have little sort of slots where you can put urns and things like that. So they take up a lot less space. But anyway, I highly recommend a visit to the non-Catholic cemetery when you are in Rome, obviously when they reopen, and I hope that they will very soon. It is one of the most tranquil and beautiful places to spend a few hours in Rome. So I highly recommend it. I'm going to close with just a few lines from my favorite poem by John Keats. I'm not going to recite the whole poem because it's too long. But this is, these are the lines that have sort of been floating around in my head as we approached the, uh, the 200th anniversary of his death. And I've been thinking a lot about him lately and, of course, reading Katie's essay. So these are just a few words from an ode to a nightingale. Darkling I listen, and for many a time I have been half in love with easeful death called him soft names in many amused rhyme to take into the air my quiet breath. Now, more than ever, seems it rich to die, to cease upon the midnight with no pain while thou art pouring forth thy soul abroad in such an ecstasy. Still wouldst thou sing, and I have ears in vain, to thy high requiem become a sod. This has been your midweek bittersweet moment. Join us again. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And if you love it, leave us a good review and tell all of your friends about us. Also, if you have an idea for a bittersweet moment, send it to us by email or voice memo. We're at bittersweetlife at mail.com or find us using the contact page at thebittersweetlife.net. Thanks to Clyde Hill Publishing for supporting this program. Find inspiring and thought-provoking nonfiction with a focus on founders, innovators, 
thinkers and tinkerers at ClydeHillPublishing.com or Clyde Hill Pub on Twitter.